to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Very good. Okay, well, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it and turn with me to the book of John, the book of John chapter 18. Uh, I know we have some people here with us for the first time today. We're so glad uh, that you're here with us today and uh, on this Sunday. And uh, if you're here as a a guest today, here for the first time, or maybe you've not been here in a few weeks, uh, you've come on a a great Sunday, and I'll just kind of catch you up. Uh, Currently, we're in a series that we are calling Thrive. And um, the, the idea, the big idea behind this series is really that God doesn't want us to just be alive he wants us to thrive. He, he wants us not to just make it through life, but he, he wants us to uh, live what Jesus called life and life to the full. How many of you know that God's purpose for your life is about more than just being able to fog a mirror? More, more than just being able to pass the mirror test. He wants you to live a, a, a life that matters for eternity. But oftentimes, just as there is physically, the same is true spiritually, that there is often a condition that is a, it's a physical condition, but that there's a parallel spiritually that is called a failure to thrive. A failure to thrive is a condition that babies can have uh, at infancy, that they're missing out on some essential, they're missing out on uh, something that is really essential for life and for growth, and they, they have what doctors call a failure to thrive. And there's many people today across the church that have put their faith in Jesus. They are alive in Jesus, but they are not thriving and part of the reason is because there's a, a, an absence of the essentials of the faith or a deficit uh, in the gospel. And so we shared with you on the first uh, week of this series that a deficient gospel will always produce defective disciples. And so we, we don't want to just uh, be alive. We want to thrive. We, we want to receive the fullness of the gospel. And so we've been looking at a number of um, A number of the essentials of truth, the essentials of the gospel. By the way, I know you may have noticed that we did not pass the offering bucket today. That was intentional uh, today. And so you can give online at onechurch.net slash giving or on your way out today. uh, You can drop that in the offering bucket. I'll just mention that while I'm thinking about it. But uh, we've been looking at these essentials. And uh, last week I talked to you about the essential truth that God is good. Anybody thankful that God's good? Anybody thankful that even when life is not good and life is easy, it's not easy, that that doesn't determine the ultimate reality of our lives? That even when life is not good, God is still good. And that is the foundation that we build our lives upon. And I want to speak to you our second foundational truth today. And so if you have your Bible, look with me in John chapter 18. And I'm going to read 10 verses from verse 28 to verse 38, and I think we have these to put on the screen. John 18, verse 28, and this is the account of Jesus having been arrested and now being brought before Pilate. It is the, the, the moment that we are preparing to celebrate in just a few weeks as Easter approaches. And the Bible says this in John chapter 18, verse 28. It says, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. 
And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. What an interesting little point. They don't want to be defiled so they can't celebrate the Passover. Meanwhile, they're bringing Jesus to be crucified. It's the irony of religion, right? Verse 29, it says, Pilate went, uh, then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, Let's, uh, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. In other words, they're not out for justice, they're out for blood. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which was spoken, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? That's an important question. Are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? Verse 34, it says, Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered him, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is the truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that regardless of whether we are here physically present, God, or whether we are at home, Father, we thank you that your spirit is with us. And so, Lord, we just come in unity now. We ask that you would open our ears, open our hearts, help us to receive from you. Anoint me to preach your word today with boldness, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, I want to speak to you today on the essential truth that Jesus is king. The essential, I didn't say he's a prince. I didn't say he's a nice guy. I said the essential truth that Jesus is king. Now, I know for us as uh, myself being American, many of us here uh, Americans or perhaps uh, from other countries around the world, perhaps we don't have a big concept or a cultural concept of kings. And so I actually want to play a little game. We have some of our wild ones in with us today. And so we're just going to play a game today. Is that all right if we play a little game this morning? I'm just trying to get everybody engaged and interacting, okay, today. And so I'm pulling out all of my, um, my youth group uh, youth pastor uh, tools today, okay? So we're gonna play a little game and we're gonna call this game Name That King, okay? So can we all play this game together? And so here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna go through a list of um, maybe they're kings, maybe they're not kings and, and you just have to uh, shout out everybody together if you know the name of the king, okay? And so we're gonna start off with our, is everybody ready? 
Everybody's like tuned in on the edge of their seat, paying attention. You at home, you can play too. And um, so let, let's go ahead and put our first person up on the board or up on the screen today. Who knows who this king is? Henry, Henry VIII, the uh, maybe least favorite king of all. I just feel like you need to say his name with a, uh, an English accent, Henry VIII, I am, I am. Henry, anybody know that? Okay, so let's put up the next king. The ne- who, who's this? Just say his name. Ooh, you, did you feel that? It's Mufasa. Okay, next king. Oh, come on. The king of rock and roll. Don't be cruel. There we go. Not to be outdone. The next king, BB King, the king of blues. Next king. Perhaps the creepiest king of all time, the Burger King, the king of have it your way. Last king, the king of suspenders, Larry King, okay? And so you guys did good. I think everybody got 100% today. And uh, so that is, oh, there's our, our last one. Okay, F- last but not least, who's this king? LeBron. King LeBron James, the king of the court, okay? At least if you were born after the 90s right. when the Chicago Bulls reigned supreme. But... Anyway, so I wanted to just get our minds kind of on that kingly wavelength for a minute. I wanted us to just be thinking about the concept uh, of a king and what is a king and what is a kingdom, because today we're going to talk about a king that is above all other kings, uh, a king that is not the Burger King, have it your way king, a king that is not uh, the, the king just of rock and roll or just of any one sector of life, the king that reigns supreme above every other king, and that is our king, King Jesus. And, and I, I want to make that very clear in our hearts today, uh, that, that what we are building our lives on and what we're building even the church that God is building the church on is built on the revelation that Jesus is king. And I know in our world today, there's a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. Some people would say, well, Jesus is a good guy. He taught some good things. Some people would say Jesus is kind of a spiritual leader, and I'll just lump him in with all of the other spiritual leaders in the world. Some people would say that Jesus is just a historical figure, but he really has no, uh, no uh, relevance to my life today. There's all kinds of opinions about Jesus But the reality is that for all of us, regardless of what our own personal perspective is, Jesus has said himself, his ultimate title, although he was a teacher, although he was a worker of miracles, although uh, he, he was so many things that ultimately his ultimate identity is that Jesus is king. Or, or we could say it this way, that Jesus is Lord, and oftentimes people would say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. But what they are talking about is that they believe in Jesus perhaps as a historical figure, perhaps, perhaps as a good person, a moral teacher, perhaps as, as someone who has influenced society. But Jesus will not let us get away with that sort of an answer. Because Jesus here boldly claims that he is, although he may be those things, he's actually far more than that. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why C.S. Lewis, the great 
thinker of the 20th century said this, that he is either a liar, he, he's deceived more people than anybody else in history, and he is a, a, a damned liar is what Lewis said. So he's either a liar or maybe he's just a lunatic. Maybe he's just a madman like so many others that have made claims about themselves that we can just dismiss because he's a lunatic. But if he is not a liar and if he is not a lunatic, the only option left is that Jesus was right when he said who he is, that he is in fact the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so many times we, we look at Jesus, perhaps even for our salvation, but we do not recognize his lordship over our lives. Many people will talk about Jesus forgiving us of our sins, and of course the Bible is full of those wonderful truths, but the reality is that we cannot separate Jesus as Savior from Jesus as Lord. What was it that caused Jesus to be killed? I mean, think about it for just a minute. He, he loved people, he, he taught good principles, he healed people, he, caught, he, he created or, or worked all kinds of miracles. What was it that caused Jesus to be killed? It was the fact that he was more than just a good moral teacher. He actually claimed to be king. And that is the shot that was heard around the world that Jesus has come not just as a spiritual figure, but he's come to turn upside down all of the power structures in the world as we know it, that he is the ultimate reality, the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords. And so for many of us, we, again, we think of Jesus as our savior, but we may not recognize him as our lord or as our king. And so I wanna just unpack for a little bit what it means that Jesus is king. Because if you do not uh, recognize his kingship, you will never receive his kingdom. If you do not recognize his authority, you will never receive his goodness, his blessings, his salvation into your life. And so it's crucial for every one of us, regardless of our background or perspective, to understand what is it that Jesus claimed to be when he claimed to be king. And so I want to give you today three aspects of kingship that we need to understand. Three things that we need to recognize that really flow out of Jesus' claim that he is king. The first aspect of kingship that I want you to understand is this. Kingship involves or requires ownership. Kingship is ownership. Now, I know some of us hear that word ownership and we think, uh, that's, that's kind of imposing. That's kind of a heavy-handed word that someone else would own my life. But the Bible says it pretty clearly that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we live in a world that loves to claim and, and praise all of the, uh, the, the claims for personal rights that, that I am my own person. But the reality is that all of the rights that we have, even the freedoms that we have in our world, and the reality that no person can own another person is based on the reality that God is the owner of everything. God is the owner of everything. 
He, he's not just kind of a nice addition into our lives. He becomes the owner of our lives, or we recognize his ownership. And you may feel like, well, that's, uh, that's nice for you, but that's, that's not true for me. But the reality is that Jesus makes that claim on every single one of us. In fact, the Bible says it this way, or the Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That's a bold statement. But Paul is saying that the reason that Jesus Christ has the ultimate right to be the king of the universe is because he's the creator of the universe. That he has created everything. Before everything was, he was. And the reality is that every single one of us, whether we recognize it or not, we bear the mark of his ownership. We bear the mark of his, uh, of his image on our lives. My wife, uh, a number of years ago, bought a coffee table at a thrift store. Or was it a yard sale? A thrift store. And she bought this coffee table for, and I always use these examples. I mean, I've got limitless examples of Jennifer getting deals on things. Week by week, there's just a, a plethora of new deals that are being brought into our home. And so um, she bought this coffee table, and to me, this just looked like an old coffee table. I thought, this is just an old coffee table. You got it for 20 bucks, and not a big deal. But she actually knew that that wasn't just an old coffee table, although even the person selling the coffee table just thought it was an old coffee table, because under that coffee table, there was actually a mark. And I don't remember what that mark was, but it, it, it revealed the designer of that table. It was some sort of fancy Danish designer. And, and people who, to some people, that was just a $20 old table. But to people who knew who designed that table, they knew, in fact, I think that table sells for like $1,000. So that's a table that we don't put our drinks on. We put those on the other tables. But no, I'm just kidding. We do put it on there. But my point is that the, the value came from the creator. The, the value came that it bore the mark of the creator. And, and you see, the reality is that every single person is infinitely valuable because every single person carries the mark of our creator. And we are made in the image of God. That, that's why we can't just do whatever we want, even with our own bodies, because our bodies are not our own. We bear the mark of our creator. We, we've been made in his image. And I, I saw something a number of years ago that just drove this point home. And some of you may be familiar with this. I heard a talk a number of years ago by a pastor and Bible teacher named Louis Giglio. And he was talking about how the human body reflects the glory of God. And he had, was sharing with someone that he was going to be giving that talk, and as he was telling that person, they were some sort of molecular biologist, I think, and they said to him, uh, you've got to tell the people about laminin. He's like, okay, what is laminin? Who knows what I'm talking about? 
Some of you have seen this. He said, what's laminin? He said, oh, laminin. You, you don't know about laminin? He said, laminin is the cell adhesion molecule. You got to tell him about laminin. And he was like, okay, cell adhesion, that's pretty cool. He said, no, laminin is the thing that actually keeps your whole body together. It is the molecule that creates proteins. It's literally the thing that keeps you from just coming apart. He said, you got to tell him about laminin. He said, I'll, I'll tell him about laminin. He said, no, I actually, you got to see laminin. Don't just tell them about it. you got to show them laminin. And, and I'm ripping off of Louis today to show you laminin today because this is a molecular diagram of what laminin is. And over here is a picture, a microscopic image of what laminin is. How incredible is that? Here, the Apostle Paul, thousands of years ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that he's the invisible, the image of the invisible God in him. All things consist. Another translation says it this way, in him everything holds together. In other words, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying that all of creation, all of life, bears the mark of our creator, and outside of carrying the image of the creator, everything would fall apart. And here, thousands of years later, scientists discover under the microscope the property of laminin, carrying the image of the cross. What a beautiful picture that the reality is that Jesus Christ, as the owner and the king of the universe, is the one that holds all of life together. Without the ownership of Jesus, life falls apart. Without the... the, the Authority of Jesus, without the rulership of Jesus, this world comes apart. And so the first aspect of kingship is, a, is ownership. The second aspect I want you to see is authority, is authority. Now, maybe you're already recognizing a trend in these words. These are not the, the most popular words in our culture today. If we had a marquee outside as a church and we put on that marquee, um, you know, seven truths of the authority of God in your life, how many of you know it probably would not pack the place out, right? I mean, as a general rule, the culture that we live in, we've got an issue with authority. We've got an issue with authority, but the word authority actually contains within it another word, and it is the word author. It is the word author. And Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, reveals the authority of Jesus. In Matthew 28, he says this, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm the author of all of creation. I'm the, I'm the one that is creating, that is narrating, that is unfolding the narrative of history. In other words, history is simply his story. Because although every other person in the world may feel that things are outside of their plans, it's never outside of the plans of Jesus. He's never freaking out because he is in authority. That's why when the disciples were freaking out in the boat. Jesus, we're going to die. Jesus, we're going to die. What was Jesus doing? 
he was sleeping. How many of you need a life verse for your life? There's one right there that Jesus was sleeping while the world was freaking out, not because he was absent, but because he was in control. He was in authority. And he stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And the scripture says this in Matthew 8, 27. The men marveled. Who can this be that even the winds and the waves or the sea obey him? What was he demonstrating? He was demonstrating his authority. Maybe you feel like your life is a mess. Maybe you feel like the world right now is a mess. Maybe you feel like it's not going according to your plans. The good news is that there is an authority above every other authority. There is one who is, who is unfolding the pages of our life and the story of our life. And remember last week we talked about the goodness of God. What a wonderful truth that God's goodness is manifest in his authority in our lives. He's authoring your story. The third thing I want you to see, the third aspect of kingship is the aspect of control. Ownership reveals the kingship of Jesus. Authority reveals the kingship of Jesus. And then control reveals the kingship of Jesus. Again, these are not words that most of us are like, yes, I, I, I want to be under control or I want something controlling me. But the reality is that life thrives in control. When it's controlled. How many of you have been out to the grocery store lately. There is a lack of control, right? Suddenly we realize the value of control. And that is the reality of the universe, that Jesus is in control. That means this, that he's not an absentee landlord that has set everything up and then he's moved away to some tropical location. He, he is present, he is in control of our lives, of the world that we live in. Jesus is in control. And so we need to recognize, we need to receive the control of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus over our lives, that he's in control. Why? Because life thrives in order. Life thrives when it's under control. Outside of the lordship of Jesus, how many of you remember a time when your life was just out of control? How many, have you ever realized that outside of Jesus' transforming work in your heart, life just goes into total chaos, doesn't it? It just is without control. But there's something that happens when Jesus comes into our heart, everything just begins to get better because we've come under the control of Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, suddenly you want to start taking care of things that you didn't take care of before. When Jesus comes into your life, suddenly you want to start bringing things into order that were always in chaos. Sometimes when Jesus comes into your life, picking your socks up off the floor can be a major breakthrough. How many of you women know what I'm talking about for your husbands? That would be a breakthrough moment. Why? Because it's life in control. You see, the fact is that even in our bodies, life flourishes in control. Think about it with me for just a moment. Even cancer, what is, what is cancer? The, the danger, the, the horrific thing that cancer is, cancer is by definition. I actually looked it up on the 
American Cancer Society's website, they said that it is when cells reproduce without control. So cancer is simply life out of control. And the fact is that outside of the lordship of Jesus Christ, when every single one of us says, I am the ultimate owner of my life. I'm the ultimate authority in my life. I don't need to listen to anyone else. I'm not going to let anyone else or anything else control me. It's like that spiritual cancer. It's life out of control. And if there's a sickness in our world today, I would say that the greatest sickness is that people have rejected the lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives. And so it is life out of control. But God's not out of control. Jesus is not out of control. That's why the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 27. Says this that there will be a a shaking of all that can be shaken and yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. The author of Hebrews says that there is a day that is coming when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Has anybody turned on the news lately? There is a shaking in our world. There's a shaking in the economy. There's a shaking in the hearts and minds of people. The Bible says that in the last days, people's hearts will fail them out of fear. Why? Because there is a shaking in our world. But the Bible says when that which is shaken is shaken, that which cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. You see, when everybody else in the world has lost control, it reveals the one that can never lose control. It reveals, when everybody else is freaking out, it reveals the one who is never freaking out. It reveals the one that is in control. And so his kingship reveals his ownership. It reveals his authority. It reveals his control over his creation. Therefore, how do we respond to his kingship? If Jesus is claiming to be the king of kings, if he's claiming to be the ultimate reality that the universe revolves around, how do we respond to King Jesus? Well, there's three responses that really every one of us can have. The first response is that we deny his kingship. We can deny his kingship. We see this in the picture of the the Jews that brought Jesus before Pilate. They denied his authority. They were celebrating the Passover, but they denied the reality of the Passover lamb that was right in front of them. They were denying the reality of who Jesus was. And the same is true in our world today. Many people deny the claims of Jesus, deny the the reality of who Jesus is. It, It often sounds like this, well, I'm not really into religion. I'm not religious. Meanwhile, they, they go to yoga or whatever their class is, 
religiously. Meanwhile, they read their favorite Instagrammer religiously. Meanwhile, they follow all of these things of the world and they say they're not religious. You know what I'm saying? Uh, is that a little too close to home? We still streaming here? Okay. <laughs> I went to, I was at a farmer's market recently and I was talking to some people and um, I told them I'm, I'm a pastor and they looked at me like I said, I'm the worst person in the world. And we said, we're not religious. I said, cool, that's all right. We don't have to talk about that. I said, tell me what you do. Well, these are teas, and this is a healing tea, and we actually have a healing room down the, down the road, and we have healing sessions three times a week. And I said, wait a minute, you're not religious? Y'all got more prayer meetings happening than my church does, okay? And, and so here's the issue. It's that oftentimes people are, they deny Jesus, they are, they are practicing religion, but they're denying the reality of it. That's what, it, that's what was happening here. The Jews were denying Jesus. They were denying his authority. They were denying the reality of who he was. They were practicing religion but denying the very reality. They're caught in the routines of their own religion, practicing Passover, missing the very reality of the Passover lamb that was in front of them. And so people often deny the kingship of Jesus. The second way that people can respond to the kingship of Jesus is maybe they don't deny him, but they just dismiss him. If the Jews denied him, if the Jews shouted with anger, crucify him, then, then, then Pilate just dismissed him. Pilate just said, I wash my hands of this. I, I just dismiss this. Get it, get it away from me. He, he said to Jesus, he said, what is truth? What is truth? In other words, uh, the Jews live their truth and you live your truth. He didn't deny Jesus' claim to be king. He just dismissed him. The reality is that many people dismiss the claims of Jesus today. Churches even are filled with people that dismiss the claims of Jesus. That hear his call, that he is king, but they just develop what I call the meh mentality. The meh mentality. It's, uh, yeah, I, I know I read this in the Bible, but meh, not really that important. I, I just kind of dismiss it. Meanwhile, Jesus says this, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You see, Jesus is either the Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And so Pilate just dismissed him. So the options are we can deny him, we can dismiss him, or the third option, which I would propose to you is the best option, is not denying him or dismissing him, but it is declaring his kingship. It is declaring that I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. I believe that he has done what he said he has done. And I love what the Bible says of the Roman centurions that when Jesus died on the cross in Matthew 27 verse 54, it says this, that when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened. In other words, when everything else was shaken. When everything else quaked, they feared greatly. They were freaking out, saying, this 
was, this, truly this was the Son of God. They were declaring He is the Son of God. He is who He said He is. What a, what a beautiful contrast to Pilate or to the, the Jews who denied Him and the and Pilate, who dismissed him, was these soldiers who saw the reality of the world around them, and their response was, he is who he said he is. And so, in closing today, I actually want to play another game. Can we play another game? You know, is that good? Everybody's awake? Back there in the back, we're all spread out. Everybody, can we play a game? I can, I can wait. Okay, 100% participation. Will everybody play with me? Okay, good. All right, so here's another game. We played who's, or named that king. Now we're going to play another game that's, that, that's called That's My King. Okay, and so rather than showing pictures, I'm going to read some descriptions. And uh, if this is a description that resonates with you, if this is something that you feel like is uh, true, then, then here's what I want you to do. I just want you to, to yell out in response, That's My King, Okay. And a worship team, you guys can come back up. Is everybody ready? So here's, here, here's the first thing. This, this king was born in a stable. A little, little bit better. This king, he was not born in a palace. He was born in a stable. That's my king. This, this king uh, was not welcomed by the world, but he fled as a refugee. Who is that? That's my king. He was raised not in Jerusalem, but he was raised in Nazareth, the place that everybody else said nothing good can come out of. What do you say to that? That's my king. He worked as a carpenter. That's my king. He was friends with tax collectors and prostitutes. That's my king. He was rejected by the religious elite. That's my king. He was arrested as a criminal. That's my king. He was beaten until unrecognizable and crowned with a crown of thorns. That's my king. He was nailed to a cross, hung between two thieves. That's my king. He hung naked and exposed so that you wouldn't have to. That's my king. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. That's my king. He was raised to life three days later. That's my king. He was exalted above every other name. That's my king. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue in heaven and on earth would confess that that is my king. Would you stand to your feet and give Jesus praise today? Come on, give Jesus praise today.